Well, good morning, Grand Prairie Lions Church. And uh, it's a great morning for me this morning just uh, to actually be here in the auditorium listening to the worship team as they were singing and actually feeling the music going through me. Uh, that's part of what I love of being together when we worship together. And that time's coming again in a little while. But uh, as I think about the year 2020, it's going to be a year that many of us are probably going to use as a reference point for the timelines of our lives. Something like uh, some other significant dates like 9-11 or the economic crash of 2008. And so it's a significant year, but it probably will also kind of just go down as a footnote in, intra in history. You know, since March 11th, we've been under isolation orders. There's been some restrictions and we're waiting for some of those restrictions to come and be lifted off again. We've seen our economy plummet and yet now somewhat regaining a little bit and uh, isolation from friends and family. Mental health has been a challenge for some people. In fact, suicide rates have been rising over the last couple of months and then this last few weeks. Uh, some of the civil unrest in the United States spilling over first into Canada and now across the entire world uh, over the, the d death of Floyd George in Minneapolis. And I remember listening to one commentator who said it feels like the social fabric of our nation is being torn. And in some ways I feel that way over this last while. But in a kind of bit of a balance, one of our staff members, we had a staff meeting last week and he said, you know, let's not just talk about the negatives of life with Zoom and Zoom fatigue and things like that. He said, we've now got some great new tools that we can use for ministry. And I, he was right. You know, and I hope with the next stage of reopening that we are able to start worshiping together real soon again. And, and you know, some of you are probably really excited about that. And some are cautious. And some people are afraid. And those are all really valid emotions for us to be feeling at a time like this. You know, we've been talking about the theme of perseverance in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, we've been persevering against challenges. We've been persevering against fear and the angst that can well up within us. And we've also been persevering against an enemy who would like to leverage these times to damage and to destroy lives. And so this morning we're going to be taking a look and I have time to just do a, a couple of snapshots into the life of King David. And uh, you know what? I, I really identify with King David and with the Apostle Peter. They were two really real-life heroes in Scripture I identify with, not because my life resembles theirs, but because their lives, their spiritual journeys were messy. And my, my spiritual journey has mess, been messy as well. You know, I think of through my life, probably the deepest lessons that I've learned were because of the hardest circumstances that I faced in my life. I've been through emotional burnout, in fact, a couple of times in my life, because I didn't learn to set limits for myself. But now looking back, I see God's grace and his love throughout. And I've also seen some miracles that he did at those times. I have experienced God's discipline in my life because of willful sin. <laughs> Actually, is there anything like accidental sin? You know, but there is pain in sin. But there's also God's grace and his forgiveness and freedom. 
And I also remember in personal business, seven years of battling to build a business just kind of right from the bootstraps on up. And we went actually through our own epidemics of health diseases and health outbreaks. And some of those were terribly disheartening times. And in fact, after seven years, my partners and I walked away from the business and it was tough, but it was a wise decision. But you know what? God was in it with us there too. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about David, but I want to start off actually by talking a bit about King Saul because King Saul provides a backdrop and he's part of the cast of David's story. And so one of my points comes from him and I'm going to be talking mostly out of 1 Samuel uh, with my text this morning. And so... Samuel wrote this. He said, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and he has not carried out my, my instructions. Saul and David, they were the first two kings of Israel. They had the same call, but very different stories. Saul, well, he did his things his own way. Though he was anointed to lead Israel as their king and as the nation who worshiped God, and they represented God to the world, Saul failed. His life was characterized by impatience, jealousy, vengefulness, self-centeredness, cowardice, disobedience, arrogance. At the end of Saul's life, he went so far as to consult with a witch because God had stopped speaking to him because of his arrogance and his disobedience. And Samuel, shortly after, said to him, you have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And something else happened to Saul that day. It says, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. I suppose we can learn lessons from Saul, just as we do from David. A couple of weeks ago, after Torontonians first stepped back out into the sun, 10,000 people crammed into a tiny downtown park. And the mayor of Calgary, before the next weekend, speaking to the city of Calgary, said, don't be Toronto. <laughs> well... My comments this morning is, don't be Saul. You know what? Saul's persistent disobedience not only cost him his kingdom, he lost the presence of God's Holy Spirit. He lost God's guidance and his moral compass point. And you know what? I believe that if Saul had repented, if he had turned back in obedience to the Lord, God would have responded in forgiveness and in grace, but he didn't. There's an application in the book of Revelation as Jesus is talking to the church of Ephesus. And he says to them, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Folks, we, we need to be careful and walk in obedience because we can risk drifting from God and losing our way, losing our calling, and even losing our reward. So let's move over to David. David was anointed 
for God's purpose in his life. And, you know, because of God, Saul's disobedience, God replaced him with David as the king. And we, sent, we see that uh, God sent the prophet Samuel to the home of Jesse of Bethlehem. And after going through all of Jesse's sons, finally David, the youngest, a lowly shepherd, was brought before Jesse and before Samuel. You know what? God was looking for something special. And he said to Samuel, he said, do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And then he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. Think of that. He will do everything I want him to do. Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, he says, For we are God's workmanship, or God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, God has created every one of us with purposes in his mind that he intends for you and for me to accomplish. You know, one of the first stories that really stands out is the story of when David faced the giant Goliath. I just call this facing giants or standing for God's name. You know, at that time, David was only about 17 or 19 years old, and he was tending his sheep, his father's sheep, and going back and forth, bringing food to his brothers who were in Saul's army against the Philistines. And in those days, armies would sometimes have a couple of their champions fight to determine who was the winner and who was the loser of the battle instead of slaughtering all of their armies on the field of battle. And so the Philistines sent out Goliath, who was their champion warrior, this huge giant of a man about seven feet tall. And Saul had offered great wealth and He'd offered his daughter's hand in marriage. In fact, he offered exemption from taxes for any family of a warrior that would stand against Goliath. But there were no takers until David showed up. And David was brought before King Saul and he said this. He said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. (laughs) I wonder what else he was thinking as he sent him on his way. David wound up trying on his armor and passed because it was too too heavy and it didn't fit. And instead he chose his sling made of leather and a couple of stones. And he walked up in front of the giant and he said to the Philistine, you have come against me with sword and spirit and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a king, sorry, that there is a God in Israel. Today, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Friends, God did not need David to defend his honor. But God wanted a man who would stand and defend his honor. 
And you know what? We all face giants in our lives. We face things that are beyond our control. We face situations or people who challenge our faith in God. We face situations or people who will actually challenge the existence of the God in whom we place our faith. And these are times right now. If we want to be counted as men and women after God's own heart, that we will choose to stand in God's name. I'm going to fast forward now through the next couple uh, chapters of 1 Samuel. We leave the killing of Goliath here when David was 17 to 19 years old. And, and then after a number of years, David was actually brought into Saul's army and given a high rank. And he was very successful in all of his battles. And people recognized his incredible successes and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Sam, uh, David was about 20 to 25 years old at that time. You know what? Saul became jealous of David. In fact, he tried to kill him on a number of occasions when David was actually playing a harp for Saul to help him to calm down because of the spirit which, which he was battling. David continued in his career and in the army and the people of Israel began to love him more and more and Saul hated him more and more Saul offered him his daughter Michael in marriage to David and he hoped that David would possibly go out and be killed because he baited him into going out to kill a hundred Philistines and there's some graphic details I'm deleting here right now that Jennifer and Ashley both related to. But instead of killing a hundred men, he and his friends went out and killed 200. And that made Saul furious. Finally, Saul declared open attack on David. His son, Jonathan, actually went over to David and became his best friend rather than with his father, infuriating Saul even more. So finally, David escaped with his family and some of his trusted friends and they began life on the run. And for the next number of years, Saul hunted David. He wound up killing Abiathar, the priest, and the priests the, of the Lord at Nob, the city, for helping David. And twice, David has an easy, easy opportunity to kill Saul. The one occasion, it says that Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. He had to go to the bathroom. David and his men were far back in the cave, and the man said, David, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And David crept up and unnoticed he cut off a corner of Saul's robe, but he spared Saul's life. And then the second occasion, Saul had tracked David into the desert and Saul and his army had camped for the night and Saul was camped right in the middle of the entire army and David and one of his warriors, Abishai, crept down to the camp and they right up to Saul's bed on the ground without being detected and they took Saul's spear and his water jug that was stuck in the ground beside him. And Abishai turned to David and he said, Today God has delivered your enemy into his hands. Sorry, into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. 
But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. Years of being hunted. Twice David had the opportunity to take matters into his own hands and end his life on the run. But instead, he chose honor over compromise. He chose God's will over his own will. And he chose God's timing over his own timing. You know, how many times must he have asked himself, God, when? God, why? You know what? These are times that God uses to build, to refine character, to test our perseverance. These are times of waiting for God's provision for a job or maybe waiting for the right time for, to provide a, a husband or a wife that God chooses for us. Waiting for a loved one to turn from sin back to faith. Waiting for medical test results to return or maybe even waiting for healing. Waiting through times of deep adversity or pain to discover how God's planned it to work out for his way. In 2011, I came to be part of this staff and in 2012, I had the privilege of going out to meet Colette Baudet, who is one of our international workers who works in Conakry, Guinea. And I got to hear a, a good part of her story of what her life in Conakry had been like. And it's a book on perseverance, really, what it is. And so I asked her this week, and she graciously was willing to share with us by video. And so I'm going to turn it over. We're going to watch a very short video as she shares a bit about her life. Do not doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. I want to share three different life-changing trials that God has brought me through that have taught me how to persevere and not give up. The first one was when I became a believer, I was working in construction. And a lot of people thought I should have left that ungodly profession and done something else. And God specifically told me to not do that. So I continued on. Three years in, my, country, my company downsized and new leaders were brought in that didn't know me and didn't respect me. And they started to treat me very poorly. I cried every morning for one and a half years going to work and saying, Lord, what am I doing this for? If I'm just doing this so I can make money to uh, go to church at night and do my ministry, then I'm quitting. I'm just telling you right now, I'm quitting. And the Holy Spirit so profoundly said to me, do not quit. There is something of eternal value in this. And so I didn't quit. A year and a half went in, of crying, and God gave me a job at the church uh, interning in youth ministry. For a year, I didn't get paid, and I thought that was the biggest blessing ever. Fast forward to here in Guinea. Uh, God used all of us to begin the radio station. Five years in, I was having some problems, and I didn't quite know what they are. Two business guys from Canada came on a trip and exposed the spiritual deception that was in the radio station. 
and I needed to fire the man who was my first in charge, and I did. Well, that set into motion a series of events that I could never have imagined, and for five months we fought uh, to have the radio station up and running again. I cried out to the Lord every night in tears and said, Lord, what is going on here? At the end of that time, I said to the Lord, I barely made it through this trial, and I don't ever want to go through this another trial like this again. I did not do it victoriously. I did it in defeat, but it, I did it. That started a process of events where the Lord led me to learn how to trust Him deeper with more assurance and to not doubt in the darkness what He's shown me in the light. And that has helped me. This last uh, two weeks ago, um, I have been a victim of a home invasion. Someone I know who's obviously very close to me uh, broke into the house in the middle of the night, uh, quietly uh, stole the television and uh, other things and stole the car. And that has also now set into motion a series of events where God has been revealing himself to me that I have his peace. I am walking through this in the light that he has shown me. I'm not walking it through it with my head in the sand or in the clouds. Um, it is not easy. Uh, the people around me are under suspicion. But God is in control. And recently, someone sent me a verse, and that was 2 Chronicles 20. This battle is not for you to fight. Take your position, stand still, and see the victory of the Lord on your behalf. I am not going to doubt in the darkness what God has shown me in the light. Yeah, amazing story of perseverance. And uh, the last time I connected with Colette this week, she had actually just been told that her vehicle had been found. And so praise the Lord, I, I hope that that turned out. And uh, yeah, what's God doing? Well, God is at work. And he's at work building character. Peter wrote this. He said, in these, all these things you greatly rejoice. For now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And these have come so that your faith, your, sorry, that they may be proven genuine in your faith, a greater worth than gold, which perseveres even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise and glory and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. <coughs> and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, God is not nearly as concerned about our comfort as he is about our character. And secondly, he is at work towards bringing about the very best for our lives. In Romans 8, Paul wrote and he said, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Ray Dirksen, in some of the discipling material that a number of us have been following this year, writes this. <coughs> Excuse me. Many think that biblical faith is something that arises from believing what we want. It doesn't. Biblical faith is trusting and believing something that God wants. And whatever God wants is always for our ultimate good. 
though not seemingly our immediate good. He also said this, he said, we go through suffering because God knows that one day we'll care more about the line of our eternity than the dot of our present on earth. He gives us that which we will really want then. That is loving. He says, you know, our life right now is like a dot and our eternity is a line that begins and it continues and continues and continues. And so the things that we face now, the challenges that we come up against, he said, they're going to mean very little in the light of our eternity. And then lastly today, I want to talk about getting up after falling. I chose to follow through the book of 1 Samuel this morning. The book of 1 Chronicles also tells David's story, although the author there represents kind of an idealized presentation of David. And so some of the stories that don't paint David in a really good light don't appear in that book. You know what? David was passionate about living in, in obedience to God, but like us, he had flaws. He had fla failures. In fact, he had some really big failures in his life. And like all the heroes of scripture, I find great hope that all of them had flaws and they were broken in places in their lives. Because you know what? We are all broken people. We are all saved by grace. We are all in the process of becoming the people God intends for us to become. But we are in process. So the story starts here. It says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. That's the setup line. War was something that kings did. David was somewhere he typically wouldn't be. He may have decided, you know what, I'm going to sit this one out and I'm going to let Joab, the head of my armies, head up the siege in Rabbah. And it says that David saw a beautiful woman, Bathsheba. She was bathing on her rooftop and he had her brought over and he slept with her. And she became pregnant. Big mistake. <laughs> but you know what? It gets worse. David tried to deflect his guilt by inviting Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, home from battle on a pretense of reporting on the siege, expecting that he would sleep with his wife and all would be well. <coughs> Excuse me. But you know what? David was so, or sorry, Uriah was so loyal that he would not enjoy sleeping with his wife because all the other armies, sorry, other soldiers were at war. And so David stepped one step further into sin and he ordered his general to put Uriah at the fiercest part of the battle. And then he withdrew the troops from around him and Uriah was killed. So David jumped from adultery to murder. David then took Bathsheba as his wife and he got away with it, or so he thought. But the text goes on, it says, but God was displeased and he told Nathan the prophet. So Nathan came to speak to David and told David a story about a wealthy man with thousands of sheep who killed the only sheep of his poor neighbor to serve at a party. David was furious and he responded, surely that man deserves to die. Nathan said to him, David, you are the man. And the Lord said this, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here. He said, David, I gave you everything you could have wanted, but you took something that wasn't yours to have. 
Because of this, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. He will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. What you did in secret, I will do in broad daylight before all of Israel. David's response is, I have sinned against the Lord. You know what? The consequences didn't end there. The baby that Bathsheba had died shortly after being born. Scripture goes on and says that David comforted his wife Bathsheba and she got pregnant and had a second son, Solomon. And David expresses his pain and his remorse over his sin and the amazing release of God's faithfulness in Psalm 32. And he writes this, he says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. A couple of lessons on this point. First one is this, sin is serious. It carries consequences that may stay with us for our entire lives. There is always a price to be paid for sin. And you know what? Just like David, we are all broken people. And just like David, when we confess and when we repent, when we turn around and walk the other way, God forgives completely. You know what? Thirdly, God can redeem even the worst sins and failings of our lives. The story goes on. Bathsheba became the mother of King Solomon. And out of this line, Jesus, the Savior, was born. Friends, it is not how far we fall or how hard we fall. God's test of our lives is if we get back up on our feet and we keep on following him. So in closing today, I just want to share kind of four lessons or four encouragements. The first one is this. God, <coughs> God measures our value by his standard of obedience. Others may never know the significance of our choices to walk and to follow God, but he will know and he will remember and secondly, God will honor those who will stand for his name, regardless of the cost. And thirdly, God is at work. He is building our character. And God is going to bring about his very best good in our lives and through our lives. And then finally, everyone is redeemable. God can use even our worst moments in our lives to bring himself glory and to give us blessing in eternity. I hope that those will both be challenges and encouragements that you can take with you throughout this week. Amen.